This is the last in our series of 10 values here at Central Heights Church. Today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And thinking about daughter leaving and the Holy Spirit, I was reminded of a story that I've shared here before. A friend of mine whose daughter left for Ontario to Toronto, not because they had a bad relationship between dad and daughter, but because she was a pretty phenomenal musician and she went to Toronto to see if she could take her musical career to another level. And as she was there, she tried to book a concert in Toronto uh, for her band at a particular venue. It was a very popular venue, and and as she was checking it out, uh, she was turned down saying they were all booked up. Word on the street was that the venue owner was especially uh, favorable to Christians. And my friend's daughter, knowing a a bit of information of that and not wanting to take no for an answer, kept, uh, called him again or talked to him again and, and let him know that her father was a Baptist pastor. Somehow the guy warmed up and quite miraculously an empty date turned up on the calendar and the concert was booked. Who would have thought in this day and age that it could be an advantage actually to be a pastor's kid. Now, it's a great story. The only thing is, actually, she lied about her dad. Well, her dad was a pastor. He just wasn't a Baptist pastor. He was a Pentecostal pastor. (laughs) And we get that because we understand that, as she did, that people often have misconceptions about Pentecost and misconceptions about the Holy Spirit Those who have done language studies of the New Testament, you might be familiar with the name Daniel Wallace. He is like the authority in Greek. He's written a book on Greek grammar. And Wallace co-edited a collection of works called Who is Afraid of the Holy Spirit? And in that, he talks about how he had resisted the Holy Spirit as a reaction to some of the extremes that he had seen. But when he began to go through some tough circumstances in his life, it forced him to evaluate those views and to change. Speaking with, uh, from the voice of himself and his co-writer, James Sawyer, or co-editor, he said, As we shared our personal stories, war stories, we discovered similar trajectories in the development of our understanding of the reality and necessity of the personal and existential work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Doctrine and biblical knowledge alone simply did not cut it. In short... Our tradition framed the issue wrongly. It threw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater. Now, discussion around the Holy Spirit is, is, is somewhat filled with landmines. Christians often hold uh, strong views, and as they hold those views, sometimes they hold them divisively. Sometimes their views are drenched in experience. Sometimes their views are void of experience. Personally, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to what happens around the subject of the Holy Spirit, and perhaps you have too. But this morning, I want to encourage us that let's just return to Scripture, and let's just look at one passage and see what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that he would send. This morning, if you're new to the Christian world, uh, that doesn't mean you, you haven't experienced or aren't open to the idea of spirituality. Not, not everybody that, that's not walking with Jesus rejects the spiritual world. Often it's quite the contrary. You just may not have categories or a framework to understand it. The Christian perspective is that the spiritual world and the natural material world coexist at the same time. 
When Jesus came, he came in the flesh. He came in reality, in history, in the material world. But he came to represent God, who himself is a spirit. And the Holy Spirit is of utmost importance to him. So this morning, my my theme statement will simply be this. God prioritizes his Holy Spirit, and he has delivered on his promise of the Holy Spirit, empowering those who are on mission. I'm going to break it up into three statements, starting with this. God prioritizes the Spirit. If we look at verse 4 of chapter 1 in Acts, he says this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he, Jesus said, you heard from me. We have said that this is Holy Spirit living is one of our 10 values of Central Heights Church. So we want to value the things that God values. We want to come in alignment with the things that God says are important. If something is prioritized by God, we want to be people that prioritize what God prioritizes. Because he created life, he knows how it works, and so life goes best for us when we align ourselves with him. Jesus said to his disciples while staying with them, he ordered them to wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows what is best. And the the disciples at this point in history, when this is written by the author Luke, they have experienced the Holy Spirit to some extent. At the end of John's book, there's this situation where Jesus breathes on them. And they have this experience with the Holy Spirit. But they have not experienced the Holy Spirit to the extent and fullness that God intends for them. And if they listen to Jesus' instructions, something is going to come. Now you can only imagine the disciples' enthusiasm as we pick them up here in Acts chapter 1. So just previously, they had been with their Lord, Jesus Christ. They had all these expectations. And then they watched as he was arrested, as he was tried, as he was beaten and bruised and then set up on a cross in a most shameful, despicable death. And and for them, it looked in the moment at that time that everything was lost. It had all come to an end. And then, a few days later, he's alive. And all their dashed hopes and dreams are resurrected because Jesus is alive, they, they see him, they're with him. And, it's, and, and Luke tells us in Acts 1, they, Jesus was with them like for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. I mean, you, you only, some experiences we have, they're like once in a lifetime experience. What the disciples are experiencing in that time is a, like once in all of history experience. The, the very event that divides history the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they're there and they experience it, and they're with him while he's alive after the cross. Can you imagine what that would feel like, the enthusiasm that you would have, the experience that you've gone through, incomprehensible, like awe, beyond capacity, and yet, and yet, their experience And their enthusiasm at this moment will not be enough. And so Jesus says to them, wait, because they will need the Holy Spirit. This weekend I I was um, just watching a bit about hockey. And they showed a clip of a young teenager, um, draft prospect, in the summertime playing scrimmage with none other than 
Sidney Crosby. Like, can you imagine being a teenager, and here he is, arguably the best hockey player alive right now, and he's playing with you on your team. I'm thinking, as, as you get ready to play, if Sidney Crosby is late, if Sidney Crosby is delayed because he has to sign a few autographs, if Sidney Crosby doesn't quite have his equipment on, you are going to wait. You're going to wait till he steps on that ice because he's Sidney Crosby. Jesus orders his disciples to wait. We wait for things that have value. We wait for people that have value. And we promise things that have value. Verse 4 again, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. When a parent asks their child to be patient or to be good, and they promise them something as a reward, that only works as long as that promise has some value to the child. So if the parent says, finish your homework and you'll get to clean your room. Yeah, that's not going to work so well. Or, okay, you kids behave with grandpa and grandma. Mom and dad are going to go on this retreat. And, you, and, and if we come back and we hear a good report, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to eat in. That's right. We're going to stay home. We're going to eat in. And then we're going to have liver and onions for dinner. And then we're going to watch reruns of Green Gables. Uh, not so motivating. But if it goes like this, you kids behave with grandpa and grandma, and when we get back, we hear a good report, oh, we're going to go to the keg in Langley, and you can have anything you want to eat. And after that, we're going to drive out to Richmond, and we're going to go in the go-karts, and we'll, we'll be there for a couple of hours, and you can race your hearts out. And after that, we're going to drive over to the Pan Pacific area and walk along coast... Uh, Coastal Harbor there, and then we're going to go to that gelato place. You know, that place where there's lineups around the door because it's good enough that everybody wants to wait for it? We'll go there after that. Huh? I want to be that kid. I'm going to obey because now that's a promise. We promise what has value. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the fathers. I think like kids, we don't always know what is best for us. But I suspect that God knows. And when he promises something, that's a big deal. And here we're told that this is the promise. There's a lot of promises that God gives throughout his word. Here, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the promise. It's like highlighted. This is the one God prioritizes which Jesus says, you have heard from me. So, so this is not new to the disciples. Jesus has talked about this before. We wait for things that have value. We wait for people that have value. We promise things that have value. And we talk about things a lot when they have value. And Jesus spoke much about the Holy Spirit to his disciples we read that in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 7, Jesus stands up on the, on the day of the feast and at the end of the week there, and he, he cries out, He that believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John tells us, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit when he spoke about that. Later in John, he talks about to his disciples, I'm going to leave you. 
And they're, you know, they're disgruntled by that. But he says, this is actually better for you. I, I don't know. That's like your parent telling you, like, like, cabbage is good for you or Brussels sprouts is good for you. It's good for you that I go away, Jesus says, because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And later he says, it's not like I'm leaving you as orphans because I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to come. He's going to walk with you alongside of you. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you into truth. Jesus says, you've heard me. You've heard me speak about this before because I talk about what really matters. We talk about what values. God the Father, Jesus, value the Holy Spirit. So how much should we? So secondly, God has delivered on his promise of the Spirit. In the first, first book of the Bible, we read in Genesis how God created and, and everything is beautiful and God calls it good. But then in that story, mankind messes it up. They rebel against God and, I don't know, God could have scrapped everything and started over again. But that's not the kind of God that we serve and talk about. He decided to redeem what was broken and even way back in Genesis, he gives some promises and, and to act on those promises, he begins to call a people to himself. And he does that beginning with a man, a man named Abraham. And he says to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, a promise. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Way back in Genesis, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now when we fast forward to the New Testament and we, we, we read the Apostle Paul uh, writing to the Galatian church, he tells us that this promise to Abraham was the gospel. The gospel announced in advance to him. Now you've heard of the gospel and maybe you have a picture in your mind of what that means, but did you know it was announced to Abraham way back then? In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Galatians 3.8, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What is that good news? Saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now those words we know are fulfilled in Jesus Christ who in Christ blesses the world, blesses the nations. If you want to flourish in your life, you need to know Jesus. Like if you want to know how life works and, 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 and experience real joy and real peace, you just, you just got to know Jesus. Because in him, all nations of the world are blessed. You, you, you've got stuff in your past that, you, that just bog you down, you can't get rid of. You just need to know Jesus and to know what he's done for you. The forgiveness that he's purchased for you, that your slate can be wiped clean because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. There's this flourishing that happens because of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for you. But listen to what this includes. When it says that all nations of the earth will be blessed, as you, as you read on in just a few verses in, in Galatians, of all the things that the Apostle Paul could write about that are included in that gospel... This good news announced to Abraham thousands of years earlier of all the things that Paul could have zeroed in on, what does he choose? The Holy Spirit. Galatians 3.14. So that in Christ Jesus, that is when you have your faith and your trust are put in him, 
the blessing of Abraham, that promise given to Abraham thousands of years earlier might come to the Gentiles, so all the nations, not just the Jews, so that, purpose statement, so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. The gospel is not just the good news that Jesus can save us, that he can forgive us our sins. The good news, the gospel, includes the incredible fact that God has given to those who believe in him the Holy Spirit. The promise, the promise of Abraham through Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Now we jump back to Acts chapter 1 verse 5. It said, Jesus had said, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So John's baptism, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, before Jesus came, uh, God sent this prophet, crazy guy named John, and people came out to him in the wilderness, and he baptized them there in water. Uh, They dealt with their sins. They repented of the ways that they'd rebelled against God. It was powerful, and, and, and it really witnessed with the people because the Spirit of God was in this man. And they were moved by it, and not all, but many, many were touched by John's ministry and what happened there. And so Jesus refers to that. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Like, this supersedes that. This is greater. Its effect will have far greater impact. So we see how Jesus refers to this in in chapter 1, verse 5. You will be baptized In chapter 1, verse 8, he says, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then we read, as we we read into Acts chapter 2, how Pentecost came. And as they were celebrating the, the Jewish feast, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other languages, and people heard that. It was it was amazing. And it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Peter stands up amongst the people and he begins to explain this to him in a powerful message, he refers to Joel in the Old Testament, how God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then at the end of chapter 2, Paul, at the end of his sermon, after Paul preaches this, the people, many who had been responsible for helping to crucify Jesus, say, what do we need to do? They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. Because the Holy Spirit was at work in their lives. And they said to Peter, what do we need to do? And here's his response in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So I want you to see there's all these terms. Baptism comes upon, filled, receive the gift. All these words point to the same beautiful and powerful event. When the church first experienced the promise of God in that time in Pentecost. But also as Peter proclaims that it's not just for then. But it's for, it's for going forward. For all who will listen and receive this message, this, the Holy Spirit, 
his baptism, for him to come upon us, for him to fill us, for him to be poured out upon us, for us to receive him, for the gift. This is for us today. Scripture says those who received Peter's words, that is, they submitted to it, believed in it, were baptized in water. So from the start, we see what a normal Christian conversion looks like. First of all, people repent. They turn from their former way of life, and they express, they, they, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. So they turn to Jesus and put their whole life into his hands. They're no longer in control. They submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus and trust him for their lives. Then they are water baptized. You wonder why water baptism is, is, is something we stress and talk about all the time here. Because this was part of a normal conversion in the early church. You turn, you repent, you put your faith in Jesus and express your faith in him by being baptized in water. And a couple of weekends ago, I guess, was it last weekend? It was last weekend. I mean, just the baptism we had at Cultus Lake was so amazing as people said yes to Jesus and expressed that as they went under the water in identification with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Repentance, faith, water baptism, and then the receiving of the Holy Spirit. This was a normal Christian conversion that the church expected. Today, our experience is often somewhat muddled. You have people that have faith in Jesus Christ, but really have never thought about repenting, turning away from their former way of life, and they've got this mixture going on in their life. Some have, some have faith in Jesus, and they've repented, but they, for some reason, have never been water baptized. And some have no conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit. And his activity in them. This spring, uh, the leaders of our church, we got together and we spent a Saturday morning just talking about the Holy Spirit. And what is his role? I mean, we, there are so many things we, we didn't get to cover too much because there's so much to talk about the Holy Spirit. But as we began to talk about the Holy Spirit and his, his role among us, from this passage that we're looking at in, in Acts and others, we we. We, we settled on a few things, and one is that the Holy Spirit is essential in conversion. Like, you, you, you can't be born again, as Jesus said. You, that can't happen without the Holy Spirit's activity in a person's life. So conversion can't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. But we recognize from the book of Acts and our, and our own experience that you can't put the Holy Spirit in a, in a box. Like the evidence of the Spirit may be tongues, as we see on some occasions here in Acts. It may be prophecy. It may be a transformed life. And water baptism, as we even see in Acts, may come after the reception of the Spirit. It's not all neat and tidy. And one of the books we looked at was, uh, the editor of it was Larry Christensen. In his book, Welcome the Holy Spirit, he said this. Discussions between different segments of the body of Christ have sometimes become a sterile restatement of positions when they have focused simply on the question, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? We may make more progress by shifting the ground of the question and asking, what is the strategy of the Spirit? And as we focused on that, we, we agreed that the multifaceted strategy of the Holy Spirit is for you to be filled, for you to be baptized, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon you, for you to receive him. That's the multi-strategy multi of the Holy Spirit. And I can just tell you from my own experience in walking with the Lord I've had a number of different experiences with the Holy Spirit. I was raised in an incredible godly Christian home. 
But there, there came a time in my life, in my early 20s, where I experienced the Holy Spirit in a, in a whole new way, and it, and it marked my life. But praise God, that was not one and done. Like, there's been so many other experiences since then where, where the Holy Spirit has just come and intercepted my life and, and touched me. And sometimes there's been physical manifestations that, like, it's just, God, you are here. And so often those times have been, and probably not surprising, when, when it's been in a time of prayer. When it's been a time of just being with him and being in his presence and seeking him. And, and my experience, though, is going to look different from yours. But one, so one thing we settled on was we need to be intentional. We just need to be intentional about the awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as leaders, we're going to lay hands on people and, and, and ask for God to fill, him, fill them with, with his Holy Spirit. We're going to have a desire for every person that, that's under our leadership to have a conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit working in their life. And then we talked about our own personal lives. How am I being filled with the Holy Spirit today? Right now, how am I walking in this gift that God has given us? That's the first question. And then as we interact with people, I, I think rather than arguing over the, the details of how it happens, if we could just ask one another, are you filled with the Spirit right now? And if not, let's pray. Let's just pray and see what God will do. God has delivered on his promise. The spirit has been poured out. We don't wait in time, we wait in humility, we wait in listening, we wait in prayer, and we are filled with the spirit over and over and over again. God prioritizes the spirit. God has delivered on his promise of the spirit. And lastly this morning, the spirit empowers for mission. In the, the good and the bad and the ugly that I've seen in sort of the, all this world, uh, sometimes I see that people get off track, off focus, by focusing on the experiences of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in Scripture, the Holy Spirit works within the body of Christ, as, it, as it's metaphorically called. He works within the body for the body to be built up. Here in Acts chapter 1, the emphasis of what Jesus is saying is the Spirit's work in us to spread the good news of Jesus to the world. Pentecost was an amazing experience as you read Acts chapter 2. I mean, it was, it was mind-blowing what was going on in there. Amazing experience and people that watched what was going on were, were you know, taken aback by it. And some even ridiculed them and said, these guys are drunk. Like, what's, what is going on here? And people that spoke all kinds of different languages heard their language spoken in their tongue by people who hadn't learned their language. Like, it was an amazing experience. But out of that, we need to see that Peter was razor-focused on Jesus. And so as he stands up, in the middle of this crowd of people that have gathered because of what the Holy Spirit has done. He explains to people what is happening, and as he does so, he brings them to Jesus. He talks about how this is what the prophet Joel had prophesied, and that this, this experience, this phenomena that is happening, is because Jesus Christ died, he rose from the dead, he's exalted to the right hand of the Father, and in that place of high ascended authority, he has received the Holy Spirit, and this is what he's poured out. It's all about Jesus. 
That is why Jesus said we need the Holy Spirit and the power that he brings in this passage so that we can be his witnesses, so that it can be all about Jesus for us, not just in how we live, but in what we speak and what we say. The purpose that Jesus focuses on here in Acts chapter 1 has all to do with mission. If we look at verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, speaking of the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, at, at this point, the disciples are concerned about anything but mission. They're looking inward. They're concerned about their nation, their people. Look what Jesus points them to, verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Like, don't get caught up. Don't get worried in things you have no control of. Here's what I want you to think about, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. For all of us, as Jesus' concern was for his disciples, was that they would be on mission. That they would give testimony to Jesus. And I believe this mission is for all of us. I don't know how you feel about that statement. This is for all of us. You may be thinking, well, wait, Pastor Tim. I mean, Jesus is talking to, you know, the big guys. James, John, Peter. Like, they're the ones who are called to be witnesses. And I would just say, well, I'll just stop you right there. Who, who is the Holy Spirit promised to? Peter, James, John, the 120 who are meeting him for prayer. Who did Peter say at the end of his sermon the Holy Spirit was promised to? Whoever would hear his words. You and your children, whoever has faith, whoever become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is promised to them. And if the Holy Spirit is for all who believe, then all who believe have a mission. Let me say that again. If the Holy Spirit was promised to all who believe, then all who believe have a mission. To be his witnesses. And the Spirit, the Spirit will empower you to do that. I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine. He was telling me about his, I think it was his mother-in-law, not his mother. He's, I'm guessing, he's lacking hair. So I think he's in his 40s. So I think his mother, mother-in-law, must be like in her 60s. But she was telling me, she lives in Vancouver, and she cycles everywhere she goes. I don't think she has a vehicle. And he says, you know, that's no problem. But before you think she's amazing, because she doesn't even sweat when she does this really, but before you think she's amazing, you, you got to know. She, so she cycles everywhere she goes. But it's one of those electric uh, cycles. You know, that has an electric motor on it. So she pedals... But the motor's working. And she can just sit on her little bike with a big smile and not break a sweat. And you know all the cyclists in Vancouver. She can just fly by them. I've been one of those cyclists. When somebody flies by you with one of those motor-powered electric bikes, like it's not fair. But it works. Listen, I know when it, when it comes to the idea of being a witness... And that word means not just how we live our lives. 
Because if you back up to what Luke writes at the end of his gospel, he talks about proclamation. So we're talking about how we live our lives, but also that we will speak about Jesus. I know for some of us, that just, that just scares us. But I have to believe that all of us who, as we get to know God better and we see how much he loves us and what he's done for us, like it's in there in our hearts, isn't it? Like we, we want to tell people about Jesus, but sometimes it's scary. I mean, I, I can tell you my life has a checkered past. Sometimes I've, I've just been out there and done it with boldness, and sometimes, man, afterwards I'm ashamed that I didn't, like I didn't, I wasn't more bold. I didn't step into an opportunity that looking back was just staring me in the face. So my own, you got to understand, my own life, it's a checkered past. And sometimes God has put me in situations where I'm, like, my heart's beating. Miles a minute. One time when I was uh, in, in um, I was in Bible college and I was running a, a section in a sporting goods store. And just, like, that day, it's like, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit just speaks to you. It was, you got to share Christ with your boss today. Huh? Really? So I asked my boss if I could have a coffee with him because I knew, like, I knew there was, like, I had no choice. So I, I, we went for coffee, and I must have looked, man, I must have looked like the most nervous guy on the planet. And, and I don't know what he thought was going on, whether I was going to tell him I was going to die or something. But I just blurted it out. I don't even remember really what I said, but I blurted it out. I got the good news of Jesus out there. And he thanked me for it. And I'll never know how God has or will use that. Not that long ago, same thing happened to me on my way to my dentist. And I'm, you know, I've seen my dentist many times and great guy, great conversation, but it was like, today, you need to talk to him about me. So, Again, my heart's beating. I'm not this, you know, I'm not this macho guy that has no fears or nothing scary with this. And my heart's beating and, and uh, they're checking me out. And I asked him, I said, can I have a private moment with you? He said, yes. I said, I, I don't know why, I said. I told him what had happened to me on the way out of the parking lot. I said, I got to talk to you about Jesus today. And I just shared with him some of the things on my heart. I don't know what God's going to do with that or where he's going to take that. But I know as I did that, as I stepped out of my comfort zone and walked into scary, I know that God met me there. See, I think that's what's talking, what God's talking about in this boldness thing is that some of it will be pre and some of it will be in the midst. That the Holy Spirit's going to come in those moments where we're willing to step into even the scary places and he's going to empower us to be his witnesses. You can be bold, not in your own strength. It's probably, for many of us, it's not our nature to do that. It's not how we're wired, but you can be bold. James McDonald, in his book, Vertical Church, says that boldness is the key to this work of being a witness. By that, though, we need to understand what that means. It's not being pushy. It's not being loudmouth. It's not being aggressive. It's not being rude. It's not being obnoxious. It's just to clearly, with confidence, clearly and concisely, tell people about Jesus. I see the early church prayed for boldness. 
We read in Acts chapter 4 there when the church has experienced uh, a threat and they gather together. I want you to see this. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 23, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what had happened, like they were threatened. So they get together, and they lift up their voices to God. And they ask God, for truly in this city, there, in verse 27, there were gathered together against your holy servants Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Like they did whatever you allowed them to do, Lord. Verse 29, Acts chapter 4. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak, to speak your word. Speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I find it amazing that even the Apostle Paul, whom we think was absolutely fearless, prayed, asked the church to pray for him. Ephesians chapter 6. He says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Verse 19 of chapter 6. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Colossians chapter 4. He asked the church again to pray for him. In verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. He's in prison for the word of Christ, that I may make it clear. Yeah, it's the same word, that I may make it clear. That's, that's part of being bold, that I'll just speak it clearly, which is how I ought to speak. This spring, there were uh, some of our pastoral leaders were at a Northwest Ministers Conference. And in one of the workshops, there, a guy by the name of Drew Marsh, who's a, a pastor, I think, just across the line in Washington, outlined how his conversations go as he loves to engage with those who don't know Jesus. And so you may be here today, and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. This is how Drew sees how his conversations go with people who don't know Jesus. But the very first thing he talks about is just to have an interest in people, like, as believers in Jesus Christ, God values all people. So we value people for who they are. We don't see them as projects, but we, we see them as dearly loved people that God values. And so we take an interest in the people that we meet. And, and we ask them about, oh, like, you know, in, in our conversation or, or, or whatever's happening, like, is there something you see that you can talk to them about? And you just, you take that step and you engage in conversation. Hey, I really like your glasses. It can be something so simple as that. Oh, are you finding it as beautifully nice and hot here as I am? You just find a place to begin to take interest in another person. And then the conversation goes to a little more general. You can talk to people about their family. We all want to talk about our family. Talk to them about their occupation. What do you do for work? Talk to them a little bit more about their upbringing or their religion. He uses the acronym FOUR to, to think about this. So family, occupation, upbringing, religion. So that's, that's sort of the first two parts of his engagement and conversation. And, and then it can go to spiritual. Because we're not being true with other people if we don't share with them something about 
our spiritual life because that's who we are if you're a follower in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. That's who you are. So why shouldn't, if you want to know someone and you want them to know you, why wouldn't you share with them the fact that part of your life is about faith? So we can talk to people about the faith and, and share with them that it's a big part of our lives and, and then just ask them, how does faith fit into your life and see where the congregation or, or where the conversation goes. So that's the first three, intro, you know, inter, introductory talk, general, and then spiritual. And then out of that conversation, sometimes the next part, you can step into a conversation about the gospel. One of the beautiful ways to do that is just to share your story. What has God done in your life? How has he changed your life? And as you do that, Share with people how that, what that has caused you to believe about Jesus. So out of that you can say, and I believe that Jesus was the savior of the world, that he came and he died. He was the son of God who died and rose from the dead. My sins are forgiven. He gives me a new life and empowers me with his spirit. That's what I've experienced and that's what I believe. And in sharing your story, you, weave in, you can weave in the beautiful truths of the gospel and sometimes as this conversation goes on and, and, and you're, you're honoring one another in that conversation, you can ask, does this make sense to you? Would you like to submit your life to Jesus in the way that I have? Now very seldom is this all going to take place in one conversation. But if we could understand that that's where our conversations can go. And as, as Drew was sharing this, one, one thing I realized is, you know, each one of those pieces of conversation, each one of those pieces on that pie chart, usually takes just a little bit of courage to step into. I call it 10 seconds of courage. So sometimes, you know, if I'm having this general conversation and it need, I want it to go to the spiritual, I can feel my heart and I can beating and I can feel, you know, all the, the fear or resistance and it just takes that 10 seconds of courage and you're into that conversation, ah, it's not so bad. And the Holy Spirit's there empowering you as that takes place. You don't need courage. You don't need Jesus' power if you're not stepping into what could be fearful. So let me talk about as 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 we've heard this morning, that God prioritizes the Spirit, that He has delivered on His promise of the Spirit, and that Spirit is to empower us for mission. How does that, how does that impact our lives? And I just want to encourage us, as I just have, to take, take steps. Take steps of courage and watch the Holy Spirit embolden you. Take those 10 seconds and step into those places of conversation where God can be powerfully at work. Secondly, I think we need to worship in community. I haven't had a chance to talk about that, that this, this morning, but I feel this is so important. In Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about being filled with the Spirit, and it says, you know, don't be controlled by something else. Don't be controlled by wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And as he talks about that, he brings it into the context of worship with other people, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We have known and we have seen here as we worship God how God changes us, how he reorientates our thinking again to the truth of who he is and how majestic he is. And, and, and if we're going to be powerful witnesses for Jesus, those things need to be so alive in us. Because they're true. And so we worship, and as we do that, we, we come into places where we're repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And then we ask, as the Apostle Paul asked, as the followers of Jesus asked, we just ask, Holy Spirit, embolden me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, help me to glorify and honor Jesus Christ and be your witness. As the worship team comes up, I want to just remind us of our new vision statement that we unpacked recently. It says that we are a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus, developing healthy churches for the glory of God and the flourishing of our cities and the world. As I look at that statement, I want you to know this is completely impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. A movement implies the Holy Spirit. A movement can't happen without the Holy Spirit at work. More followers of Jesus, that can't happen without the Holy Spirit doing his work. We don't change people. We don't convict people. He does the work. Growing. We can't grow without the help of the Holy Spirit. Developing healthy churches. What are churches? Habitations, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. This is the work of the Spirit too, that he would come and he would bring glory to the Father and to the Son and the flourishing of our cities and the world. This is the result of gospel proclamation and living and when people believe it, guess what happens? They flourish, empowered by the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. Our vision statement is all about what God will do by the power of his Holy Spirit. We have said this morning, God prioritizes the Spirit and he has delivered on his promise of the Spirit, empowering those who are on his mission. This morning, we're going to give ourselves an opportunity to respond in, in two ways. I talked about worship, being in community of worship, and so we're gonna, we're gonna sing and I invite you to just engage your heart and worship him and allow him to fill you. And, and, at the same time, we're, we're going to give ourselves the opportunity to pray, to ask. And this morning, if, if, if you in particular would like to ask the Holy Spirit to empower you for mission, I just want to encourage you just to come up front here and do that. We're going to have elders around and people. We're just going to pray for you. And we're going to pray for one another that we would be empowered in new ways by the Holy Spirit for God's mission, which he has called us to. So that's how we have the opportunity to respond this morning. God bless you as you do.